Philippians chapter 3 is uh, where we are. Philippians is one of the smaller New Testament books. It's an epistle, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, uh, somewhere between 64, 65, 66, somewhere in that range. And we've been in a sermon series, Identity, Discovering Who I Am in Christ. In week one, we discovered that in Christ, I am a new creation. Last week, in week two, we saw that in Christ, I am a child of God. Why are we taking time to discover our identity in Christ? Why? Here's why. Because there is a real connection between who you are and how you live. In March of 1969, I was born in Pontiac, Michigan at the St. Joseph Mercy Hospital. You were born at the same hospital? I See, and we're both Daves. Who knows? We might be twins. Judy tonight was surprised that I played pickleball in college, and she said, you're that old? I guess. Dave, what year was it for you? Okay, so we're, we're a little bit different in age there. But, but there's a, where were you born? When were you born, right? There is a record of that. What is it called? It's called a birth certificate. You have one, don't you? I hope, I hope that you have one. Several years ago, I traveled with a friend um, to the Dominican Republic. We were going on a mission survey trip. He was, he was getting ready to move his family there. Uh, they were going to start a new mission Um, outside of Santo Domingo, and so I went with him. He was a friend of mine, and we surveyed some different areas that did not have mission works. We visited some current mission works. We went up into the the jungle, and we visited some places that needed mission work. And uh, back in this particular day, yeah, Judy, I am that old, but this is like 1998, 99, somewhere around there. I was able to get into the Dominican Republic with nothing but my birth certificate and my my driver's license can you believe that i mean nowadays you can't even get into you know a neighboring country like uh mexico or canada but my birth certificate is my claim to u.s citizenship thanks thanks man he's our he's our smart uh guy who figures all that tech stuff out um I'm an American citizen. Are you? My identity as an American citizen relates to how I live as an American citizen, right? Who you are as an American citizen relates to how you live as an American citizen. Just a few weeks ago, I had the joy and privilege of uh, doing what we call a tax return. Did you do, did you do one of those? Okay. Um, now look, I, I did a tax return in the United States of America. I didn't like, well, I think I'll do one in Canada and why not do one in Mexico? I mean, I, you don't, you don't throw a dart at a map and pick out where you're going to file a tax return. We file tax returns in the United States. Why? Because we are citizens. So our identity relates to our activity. Uh, I voted. I have voted in every election since I was 18 years old. Again, my activity or my identity as an American citizen uh, relates to my activity. I didn't, I've never voted in a Canadian election. Have you? 
Maybe some of you have, because we have some with dual citizenship, I think. Um, but I, I never have. In fact, when I said I voted since I was 18, you weren't thinking, oh, he must, he must have voted in Canada's elections. You, you weren't thinking that at all. You automatically assume that. Why? Because I am a U.S. citizen. Out of the 195 countries in the world, this is the country that I care about most. Right? Why? Because I am a citizen here. What happens in Washington affects how I live my life. It doesn't really matter to me what laws they pass in Ottawa. It doesn't matter to me what the politics are like in Johannesburg or Shanghai. I, I know that we're in a global economy. I know that, that there's impact to all of that. But there is far greater impact in our lives by what happens in Washington and what happens in Phoenix down at the Capitol because we are citizens here. And so as we continue our series tonight, we look at Philippians chapter 3, thinking of our identity, Paul writes to the citizens of this city called Philippi, and he writes them to them about their citizenship. Let's read it, verse 17. Philippians 3, 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And then the first verse of chapter 4. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I think that you picked up on it there in the middle of those verses. In verse 20, our citizenship, Paul writes, is where? In heaven. The word citizenship there is actually the Greek word that we get our English word politics from. And in the New Testament, it refers to our spiritual community, uh, the status that we enjoy as citizens of heaven. So that's what we're here to talk about tonight, that in Christ, I am a citizen of heaven. I am a new citizen. So in the context, Paul says that while on one hand there are people who live as citizens of this world, like the people in Philippi, and I have a little map here to show you where Philippi was. Can you see it? I guess, can you see it there in red? You see Rome on your right, uh, Philippi on the left there. Um, or is that backwards? Right and left, okay. You, however you're facing. If you can see it there, I know the, the, the type is small. But Paul says that there are, there's people who are just merely citizens of this world. Uh, today here, we are American citizens. Um, but just as an American citizen, or as a citizen of Philippi, there are those who don't, they're not citizens of heaven. They are not in Christ. In Christ, 
you've been saved, if you've been born again, you have new life in Christ. We saw that in week one. We are new creations. We're children of God, as we saw last week. And Paul writes to the Colossians that we have been rescued from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We have been rescued from that domain, and we have been transferred, it says, into the kingdom of his dear son. But the citizens of this world have not been rescued. They have not been transferred from one citizenship to the other. They only live on a horizontal plane. They only live on this plane of what we can see in this earth. The temporal things that we can see on this earth and enjoy on this earth, they have not been transformed. They lived on a temporal plane, and it's not for very long. 70, maybe 80 years, if, if we eat well and we take care of ourselves, maybe, maybe we get into our 80s. My grandmother, my, the oldest, my, my grandmother would have turned 100 um, this past week, and I think she, she died like eight years ago. So we, I think she was 92 um, when she died. But even you take 92 years and you think about, just think about United States history, just think about world history. Think about eternity, and you think about 90, 70, 80, 90 years, and it's, it's, a, it's a very short time. So we may be citizens of this country, but that is not our true citizenship. Our true citizenship is in heaven. Remember the song? Did you ever sing the song, This World Is Not My Home? You know that one? I'm just a passing through, right? The song we used to sing, uh, the old-time song. Well, just as citizens of this world live in a certain way, so as citizens of heaven, we're supposed to live in a certain way. And my question for us tonight is, do you ever think about your citizenship in heaven? Do you think about it? The next question then is, what impact does it have on your life? How does the fact that you are a citizen of heaven, how is that impacting how you live your life as a citizen of heaven? These people in Philippi would have understood citizenship. Philippi was a Roman colony. That was a big deal in this time, in this part of the world. They were Roman citizens. If they were born in Philippi, they had Roman citizenship. And so they followed Roman culture in Philippi. They followed Roman uh, customs, Roman law. And though Philippi was 700 to 1,200 miles away from Rome, as you saw it, um, as you see it on the map behind me, depending on the route that you took, they, they lived as if they were in Rome. In fact, it was said that it was Rome away from Rome. In Philippi, kind of like uh, living in Guam. Anybody ever been to Guam? Some of you military guys ever been to Guam? Okay. Were you, was your husband stationed there? Okay. Guam is a U.S. and unincorporated U.S. territory. And for, for people who are born in Guam, they are U.S. citizens. Did you know that? Did you know that the, United, that the U.S. Constitution is the highest law in Guam? Uh, they don't, ha- they don't have, uh, observe all of our federal laws. But here's Guam, 7,000 miles from the continental U- United States, and yet they live as U.S. citizens, and they enjoy freedom under our Constitution. 
They don't get to vote in our elections, but they enjoy our freedoms, the freedom that our Constitution provides us. And so in much the same way, the Philippians, they were proud of their, their Roman citizenship. They were, they were proud to be Romans, but that's not the whole story. In Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul goes to Philippi on one of his missionary journeys, and he begins preaching the gospel there. Uh, he, he waits a couple days, and then he goes down by the river on the Sabbath day, and he finds this businesswoman. She's a, she's a fabric merchant, and he finds her down by the river, and I guess there, there, there's some women. They've gathered for prayer like the Jews would do uh, if they didn't have a synagogue yet in the area. They would gather together, and they would pray together on the Sabbath day, and there he finds this woman, Lydia, and he, he gives her the gospel, and she is converted she believes on christ she is saved and it tells us in Acts 16 that her whole family then gets saved well later paul finds himself in jail there's this big uproar and they throw paul in jail in philippi and paul in the middle of the night he and silas they're they're singing praises to god and and do you know the story i mean god sends an earthquake he rattles the place open and all everyone is freed from their chains, but they stick around, and the Philippian jailer is ready to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners had escaped in the dark. And Paul's like, hey, don't, don't hurt yourself, man. We're here. Well, that Philippian jailer that night was also saved, and all of his family, and they were all baptized. So you see what's going on here? These are proud Roman citizens living in Philippi, But Paul goes, he preaches the gospel, and now these believers have a new citizenship. Now they are citizens of heaven. Now this church, this colony of heaven on earth has been formed there in Philippi. And Paul, years later, writes them this epistle that we're reading tonight. And he wants them to understand that While they're citizens at Philippi and of Rome, they are citizens of heaven. So what I want us to see tonight are three changes I think that Paul gives us here that should be true of us as citizens of heaven. All right? Jot some things down. Number one, citizens of heaven live by a new pattern. Look back at verse number 17. Philippians 3.17. Paul says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Join in imitating me. You see, our life as a citizen of heaven should be changing. Is your life changing? Has it changed since you became a citizen of heaven? Has your life changed since you've been born again? Well, if you've been, if you were really born again, then yeah, it's, it's changing. There have been changes that have already taken place in your life, and I would hope that you can look back over the last year and say, you know what, I'm not the guy I was a year ago. I'm not the guy I was if you've been saved for, let's say, uh, 10 years. I'm not the guy I was six years ago and seven years ago and eight years ago. God has been changing me. James says in James chapter 2 that a saving faith works. It works. That real faith, when there's real faith in our life, 
it becomes real and observational. You can see faith in a person's life acting out, doing good works. Now, works doesn't save us, but when we're saved, there should be some works in our life that should follow. How we live should be changing so that we look more like citizens of heaven than we do look like citizens of this earth. So how do we know what it looks like to live as citizens of this earth? Well, Paul says, join in imitating me. What's he saying here? He's saying, you want to know what it looks like to live like a citizen of heaven? Let me, let me give you the new pattern, Paul says. Follow me. Imitate me. He says, mimic me. Watch me and copy me. In chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. Now, hold on a minute. Does Paul have an ego problem here? Who does Paul think he is? I mean, this is, this is a big statement. Watch me and follow me. Do what I am doing. Paul is not being arrogant. In fact, if you just go back a little bit in the passage, Paul has just said he hasn't arrived. He just, he just said that. He says in verse 12, I have not already reached this goal. What's the goal? You go back to verse 10 of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. He's like, man, I have not arrived. This is the apostle Paul speaking. And he said, I, I'm, I haven't arrived at this place of complete and total Christ-likeness and knowing Christ fully in a, in a full kind of a way. I am still growing in this, he says. However, while he's not lifting himself up as a sinlessly perfect man without any fault, Paul isn't claiming to be a perfect model of Christ, but he is saying that he is a, dyna a dynamic example of following Christ. And I think we would agree. What an example. Paul says there in verse 13 that he was reaching forward to the pattern of Christ. He was pressing forward. He wanted to know Christ more intimately. He wanted to know Christ more personally. He wanted his life to reflect Christ in a fuller kind of a way. And so Paul says, you, you, you want to know what living like a citizen of heaven is, looks like? Watch my life. Listen to my teaching. Live like I'm living. Follow Christ as I am following Christ. And he adds this. He says, and Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. What's Paul saying? He's saying, it's not just me. There's others. Maybe he's referring to, if you go to the previous chapter, he mentions Timothy. He mentions Epaphroditus. These were uh, guys who were serving God there alongside of Paul. Epaphroditus was a guy who just, he, he was a, a totally... Uh, a sacrificial kind of a, uh, of a guy. He totally gave himself to doing the work of the ministry with these folks. And, and Paul says, you know what? Here's a guy. He, he, was, to he was so given to, to serving the church that he became physically sick and nearly died because he was so dedicated to serving Christ and following Christ. 
And Paul is just simply saying, look, let us teach you what it looks like to live the Christian life. You can pattern your lives after our lives. You can imitate us. We are a sermon in shoes. We're an illustration manual for how our identity in Christ ought to be lived out in our lives. We can learn a lot from different sources. How many of you enjoy reading? Do you enjoy reading? Okay, a couple. I, I really enjoy reading. I would say that reading is one of my favorite uh, ways to learn. For one, it's quiet. Two, I can zone everything else out. I can be in a noisy room reading a book, and you could talk to me, and I wouldn't know it. But I'll tell you this. When I read I don't read fiction. Do you enjoy reading fiction? And I'm not against it. I just, I, I cannot for the life of me sit. I've tried. And just personally, I feel like I'm wasting my time. Like, teach me something. Tell me something I need to learn. And again, I'm not against it. If you can read it, I wish, I, I wish I could enjoy it like you do. But you know something? Books are, books are great. We can learn from books we can learn from instruction manuals. In fact, the Bible is an instruction manual for living. How, you want to know how to live the Christian life? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. The, the verses that we had on the screen during our scripture reading, just read, meditate on just those verses this week. And you will, if you will pattern your life after what Paul writes in, that, in those few verses, man, you will, be, you will be living your life how God would have you to live your life as a citizen of heaven to a much fuller extent than without those verses, right? So we can learn from books. We can learn from instruction manuals. But you know what I found? I found that the most helpful source for spiritual growth apart from the word of God has been the lives of faithful examples of godly men and godly women. Can you think of some in your life? Can you? I can almost guarantee you, if, you, if you've been safe for any length of time, you can think of someone in your life, maybe it was someone who mentored you, discipled you, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Did you go to Sunday school, Right? Uh, Sunday school, a, a Bible study. I, I attended a Bible study this morning. It was fabulous. Um, what an, what a, oftentimes when the word of God is taught by that teacher, man, we learn, right? We learn because it's not only from the teaching, it's from their, their personal example and who they are as a man or woman. I can think of some Sunday school teachers. That's what I was thinking of this morning at this Bible study. It reminded me of Sunday school and, and how, uh, how, uh, 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 one particular teacher that comes to mind, man, how it would all come together. And I can think of different people in my life. I told you last week about my dad, and there have been many others in my life that I could look to and say, you know what, I learned an awful lot from that person. Not so much by what they said necessarily, as much as how they lived. Maybe you had Christian parents. Did you have Christian parents? And I learned an awful lot just from my parents' example. My dad was a pastor. I heard my dad preach thousands of sermons. I'm that old, Judy. Thousands of sermons, literally. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. I mean, I, I heard my dad preach four or five times a week, every week from the time I was six years old till I was married, you know. 
And I'll tell you this, I can't remember one of those messages. But I can tell you all sorts of things I learned from his life by watching his example. Here's, here's what I'm getting to. Listen, if you've been saved for any length of time, you should be an example for someone else to follow. Who are you being an example to? The truth is, we're an example whether we know it or not. And sometimes as Christians, we, we can think that we're being a good example, and, and we're not. We're, we're just not, we're not living up to what we think we are living up to. <laughs> you know, in our own head, in our own mind, in our own view of ourselves. But are you an example? Could you, like Paul say, imitate me? Watch my life and do as I do, and you will become more like Jesus. If not, why? Because if we're going to live as citizens of heaven, that's how it ought to be. We ought to be living in such a way that someone in this, in this room, a new convert, someone that, that works where you work and they don't know Jesus, they could watch your life, they could read the Bible just by watching you. Never, op- never crack it open, but just by watching your life, they could see Jesus Christ. They could see what it means to be a Christian. Paul says, if you want to know what it looks like, follow me. He also says that there's a pattern to forsake. There's a pattern to follow. And then there are some patterns to forsake. If you look at verse 18 and 19, he explains this. He says, for I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. They're focused on earthly things. So what is he what is he given here? He's given us bad examples. These are the people you shouldn't follow. Now, who are these enemies of the cross? He gives this five-fold description of, of the pattern not to follow. The first one, he calls them enemies of the cross. Some say that these were Judaizers. The Judaizers were the Jews within the church that were saying you had to follow the law. You had to be circumcised. You're a Gentile. You got saved. You had to, you had to get circumcised if you were going to be a true Christian. Or you, you had to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament if you were going to be the real deal as a Christian. You had to follow those old laws. Those are the, the Judaizers. And then there was a second group called the Antinomians. So on one hand, you had the people who said you had to follow the law. The Antinomians, they said, nah, you don't. You don't have to follow any of it. So these guys over here said, follow it to the letter. These guys over here were like, live and let live, baby. There is no law. You, do, you can do whatever you want, basically, is what they were saying. And, and so whichever group it was, they were both wrong. It wasn't being legalistic and bringing the Old Testament uh, rules and regulations into our salvation, It wasn't that, and it wasn't just living as if there was no law. That's not how a citizen of heaven should live either. Paul calls these folks enemies of the cross. You know, for us as believers, 
Everything centers around the cross, doesn't it? Right? What do we have without the cross? We don't have anything. I mean, it was on the cross. You have Bethlehem. You have a manger. You have a, 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 the son of a carpenter. You have a ministry. You have, you have miracles, right? You have the feeding of the 5,000. You have a lot of, of great things that, that happened in the, in the ministry of Jesus, some teaching about the Father. I mean, you have, you have something, but without the cross, you don't have salvation. Really, all you have is a lot more knowledge, but still hopelessly lost. Everything centers around the cross. Because the cross shows us that we can't save ourselves, that God is our only hope. And Paul says to the Corinthian church in chapter 1 and verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, he says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the Gentiles, those who are not saved, to the citizens of the world. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. What does that mean? Well, the world... The folks in the world, what they, what they want to hear is that we're good people. Don't tell me I'm bad people. Tell me we're, we're all good people. We have the spark of divinity within us all. We're, we're all basically good. But you know what the cross tells us? No, we're not. It tells us that we were so bad that Jesus had to go to the cross and suffer and die and shed his blood for our sin for our sin debt. The cross shows us how wrong we are, how needy we are. But the citizens of this world, man, they want a different savior. Think about the different saviors that the world preaches. Well, there's the savior of politics, right? Man, if we could just get the right president, you know? If we could just get the right leader, if we could just get the right governor, if we could just get the right people in Congress, man, we'd all be saved, right? The, the world would be a wonderful place, and what a great place it would be, and we'd all be saved from ourselves if we just had better politics in America. There's also the savior of economics. You know, if we could just deal with poverty, if we could just somehow alleviate the, the suffering of the poor, right? The, the suffering of, of third world nations. If we could just make sure that everyone had health care, right? We would, we would be saved from all of our woes as society. There's the, there's the savior of health. If we could defeat sickness, if we could defeat cancer. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? If we could just somehow uh, have better health practices, if we could somehow have cleaner air and cleaner water so that we didn't get sick in all of these things, if we, if we just had better exercise programs and better diets, man, we would all be saved from ourselves. There's the savior of accomplishment, right? If everyone could just be a someone, if we could all just live out the American dream, that's all people need if, if everyone could come to America and live out the dream here, then man, the world would be a better place. We would be saved. And then there's the God of religion. The God of religion. If we can just believe in ourselves and believe that we're all basically good and we're all basically going to get there and if we could just treat each other nicely, man, the world would be a better place do away with all this talk of, you know, one way of heaven. 
one way to heaven. Let's do away with the teaching of Scripture that teaches, you know, absolute truth, rights and wrongs. We got to do away with that. And let's just embrace this spirit of tolerance, right? This is, I mean, this is the thinking in the world today that somehow the world would be saved. But Paul's, Paul's he's laying down the line. He's like, these are enemies of the cross. If you have a savior other than Jesus, you're an enemy of the cross. That's not a pattern that we're to follow. That's not how citizens of heaven believe and live. He also says the second thing about the pattern not to follow, he says their end is destruction. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He talks about the two pathways, the narrow way and the broad way, right? The narrow way, where'd the narrow way lead? The narrow, way, the narrow way through the narrow gate, right? It led to life. And the, the broad way, the broad gate, it led to destruction, right? Well, you know the Bible, what Paul is telling us here? It's no wonder that Paul wept for these false believers. Why? Because he knew they were lost and he knew that they were on their way to a Christless eternity. That they were on their way to destruction. Why would we pattern our lives after those who do not know God and are on their way to destruction? These are not the folks we're to pattern our lives after. He says, third, that, that of these people, their God is their stomach. Do you see it there? What does that mean? Just means they're consumed with their fleshly desires, right? Doesn't that just put in a nutshell, right? Isn't this what the world the, 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 the thinking of our world today is it's all about, man, what do you, get what you want, do what you want, don't hurt anybody, but, but you should have what you want. You should be able to enjoy whatever you want to do. It's all about being ruled by our own sensuality, by our own desires, and they yield to no authority other than their own selfish desires. Their God is their stomach. These are not the people that we are to pattern our lives after as citizens of heaven. He also says of these enemies of the cross that they are focused on earthly things. Oh, he said before that, he said that their glory is in their shame. Kind of like in Isaiah's day, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. How did our world get so upside down? Right? The thinking today, it's so upside down. They glory in their shame. What should be shameful, what used to be shameful, even in American culture, is now openly flaunted and bragged about and promoted as good. Evil has become good, and good has become evil. Their glory's in their shame, and they are focused, Paul says, on earthly things. They only live for this life. Get what you can, can what you get. It's all about what we can achieve. It's all about right here and right now. Everything is directed to this life. Doesn't that make sense if this life is all you have? Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Paul says, 
don't follow the examples of those who lived this way. This is how we lived before Christ. But there have been massive changes. Massive changes in our lives. We aren't one of them anymore. We're citizens of heaven. And our identity directly affects our activity. How we relate, who we are, relates to how we live. So, a new pattern. Secondly, he says, new priorities. Look at verse 20. He says this, simply stated, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Generally speaking, do people think, do you think that the people in heaven at this moment have different priorities than the people living on earth at this moment? Yes, of course, right? Do you think that people in heaven are concerned about the things that we earthlings get so concerned about? Are they? Do you think people in heaven are concerned about building wealth? Absolutely not. Are they concerned about American politics? No way. Do you think they're consumed with entertainment? Wondering what the latest, you know, what's, what's the latest show and what happened in the latest. Ah, we died before the last, you know, episode of whatever. I wonder what happened. No. No. Not a priority. They don't care. Life in heaven is different than we tend to live it down here. We get so wrapped up in this life. But what we need to realize is this. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, as citizens of heaven, we have been placed on the rolls of heaven. On the rolls of heaven. When a baby was born in Philippi, it was really important that they had their name registered, legally recorded. Why? Because that Roman citizenship was valuable to them. Wherever they traveled throughout the empire, in fact, you remember Paul, when he was in Philippi, if you read Acts chapter 16, they were about to beat him before, you know, after the day after his jailbreak, God got him out of jail. They were, they were going to beat him, and he said, time out, guys, you need to know something. I'm a Roman citizen. And they were like, uh-oh, what did we just do? And they let him walk. You see, their Roman citizenship was very valuable to them. It provided them with privileges. It provided them with rights that other people did not have. Not everyone living in the Roman Empire had this citizenship. Well, did you know that when when you trusted Christ, that your name was written in the book of life? In fact, if you look just the page over chapter 4 and verse number 3, it says it right there. Mentions a couple of people. He says that their names are in the book of life. What does that mean? It just means that if you're saved, your name is written down in heaven and it stands written forever. It's forever written there. You, as a citizen of heaven, now you have certain privileges. 
You have certain rights as a child of God and as, as an heir with Jesus Christ. How does all that come? It comes because your name is recorded in heaven. Several years ago, I, I, we had an Air Force intelligence officer who attended our church um, while he was stationed at Luke Air Force Base, and he arranged access for my two uh, sons and I, uh, my two oldest sons and I, to, to get into um, the F-16 flight simulators at Luke Air Force Base. It was the coolest thing ever. We got to go in there. Well, I'll tell you how this happened. We, 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 we were told a certain date. We were given a date and a time. We had to provide, I had to provide credentials before we ever went. And uh, they did a background check. And on the day that we were instructed to be there, we were supposed to go to a certain gate at Luke Air Force Base. We were supposed to go into this guard shack. I was supposed to present my credentials, and they would check the list. My name had to be on that list. And Brad, the, the guy from our church, came, came out to the guard shack. He met us there. They checked the list. They looked at our credentials. Our name was there. And so we were able to, to follow him in, get in there. And it was the coolest thing ever. We got to fly missions in, like, this cockpit of this F-16. And there's these screens all around you, and you're shooting guys down, and things moving. And it was really kind of a cool thing. But the, way, the only reason we got in there was because... Our names got on the list through the intercession of another person, Brad Kornreich. He got our name on the list. I want you to understand something tonight. It's the same way with our entrance into heaven. Because we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and our name has been written down, we will enter into glory, not on our merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the day is going to come when we're going to check out of this life and we're going to be able to walk through those pearly gates. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So what does this mean? It means that citizens of heaven prioritize our heavenly home over our earthly home. Our name is recorded in heaven. He also uh, points out here that as citizens of heaven... We speak a different language. Now, Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire. And while there were other languages like Greek in which the New Testament was written, the Philippians prided themselves in speaking the, the official Roman language. They were very proud of that fact. They made it a priority. What do you suppose the Romans talked about? I would say earthly things, right? says in, in these verses, in verse 19, that they focused on earthly things. So I would guess that they talked about what they focused on. Jesus said that what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. Citizens of, of earth don't understand spiritual things. How can they talk about spiritual things? You know where I'm going with this? As citizens of heaven, we speak a different language. We speak a different language, don't we? Why? Because we focus on spiritual things. We focus on heavenly things. And so the things that we talk about are different. The way that we talk ought to be different. In fact, Paul says in chapter 1, uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, hey, guys, here's how you should talk. Talk without grumbling and arguing. 
That's how the citizens of this earth talk. That's not how we are to communicate. We're not to be grumbling, complaining. We're not to be uh, arguing with one another. And in chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul says that we're to speak the word fearlessly, right? So what does that mean? I think that it means that our communication as a citizen of heaven, the way we talk ought to sound like we belong up there. Like, the, the, the majority of our conversation, when we get together, let's have spiritual conversations, right? When you're in your small group, hey, it's great to talk about the Suns. Woo, they're, they're playing a game tomorrow. Who's rooting for the Suns? Anybody? Just, all right, we're watching it at our house. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, right, uh, okay, cool. But look, at some point, you got to move past the nonsense. How much time do we spend as Christians talking about American politics? It's getting to the point now where it's like, you know, gag me. I don't even want to talk about it, you know. But how much time do we as Christians spend time complaining to our neighbors about what's happening in America? We're citizens of heaven. Why are we wasting our breath? Why aren't we having a, a conversation about the gospel with those who don't know Christ? Why are we wasting our breath talking about things that lead nowhere, that point to no real Savior. Citizens of heaven, prioritize spiritual conversations. Priorities of, uh, uh, citizens of heaven, prioritize Christ-honoring communication. Different language. He also, uh, as we think about this citizenship, as citizens of heaven, we live by a new law, right? And in Philippi, they were governed by Roman law. Well, what law are we governed by? We're not governed by Moses' law, but what law are we governed by? God's law, right? We live by a different law. Does that mean that we're, we don't have to obey the laws of the land, Ron? Doesn't mean that, right? We're still, yeah, there's, there are other verses in the Bible that say, obey your magistrates. Obey the laws of the land. And we're to do that until... They require of us something that, dis, that causes us to disobey God's law. That's where we draw the line. When they start saying, you can't or you have to, and we have to now disobey God, that's where as a citizen of heaven we say, you know what? I can obey up to this point, but you're asking me now to disobey God, and I can't go there. I can't go there. Why? Because we prioritize God's law. Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 27, a verse you could mark, he says, just one thing. That's how the verse starts. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Prioritize God's will. Prioritize God's word. Live your life in a gospel kind of a way. Well, as citizens of heaven, we also live under the authority of a new king. Right? They lived under the authority of the emperor. But when we became citizens of heaven, our first loyalty now is to whom? Not a trick question. It's Jesus. Right? Chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul says, uh, verse 10, 11, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord they used to say in Roman days, Caesar is Lord. But not the Christians. Not the Christians. 
Paul says, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We live under the authority of a new king. And also, we set our focus on things above. And Paul, he, he makes the delineation here between the, the citizens of earth, the citizens of, of Rome, of Philippi. They're focused on earthly things, but, he, but he's, delineate, he's making a contrast that as citizens of heaven, our focus is to be on things of heaven. He writes this to the Colossians. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Question, what do you think most about during the day? Do you find yourself, the problems, the cares, the struggles, the needs, those are the things that can consume our thinking. What Paul says is, as citizens of heaven, we should put our minds, we should focus on things that are eternal, not on things that are temporal. Why? Well, this world's not our home. We're just, Peter said, aliens in this world. Don't, Don't think green funny-shaped head guys with big eye sockets and big eyeballs, right? Don't think aliens in those terms. We're strangers. We're foreigners. This world isn't our home, like what it says in Hebrews about, about Abraham, right? That he, he, he lived in the land of promise as a foreigner and that he was looking for a city that had foundations whose architect and maker is God. He was he set his mind. God had promised him some dirt, some land in, in the promised land, but he was looking. He was, he was looking beyond that to the eternal city. He was living in, his, in the realm of his heavenly citizenship. So as citizens of heaven, what do we prioritize? We are to prioritize things above. What does that mean? It means we don't have to have everything on this earth. I know if you watch the commercials, you are being trained to think otherwise. We are, aren't we? We have to have everything. You get on Amazon, it's like, oh, man, I need one of those, and I need one of those. I'm with you. I'm like, oh, that, that would be great, man. That would really make life easier over here. And bing, bang, bang, and the boxes start arriving, and it's addicting. You know, it can be. And what we have to remind ourselves is I don't need everything. Just because I have the money, right, just because there's, there's money in the account, it's not at zero. It doesn't mean that we have to just keep raking it all in and bringing it all in. I don't need everything. I don't have to get all the goodies that the world has to offer. I don't have to experience all the comforts, all the joys, all the pleasures, all the, all the fun that can be had out there. I don't have to have 20 years of retirement. I don't have to. If, if, you, if you do, great. But I don't have to. Why? Because this life is temporal and we're just passing through. How has, is, does your citizenship, your identity as a citizen of heaven, how is it practically affecting how you live your life every day? Well, Paul says this. Number three, it's a short one, I promise. Number three, he says, citizens of heaven live by a new perseverance. Chapter four and verse one, he says, so then, 
All right, so the so then there, what's that do? It ties it back. So then, because you're a citizen of heaven, so then, my dearly loved and long for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown in this manner, what does he say? Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. What's the perseverance? The perseverance is, look, in the, while we live on this earthly plane, man, we are going to have troubles. I know, it's a newsflash. I know you're like, really, Pastor Dave? I didn't know that. No, we all know that. We have troubles. We have, we have problems in this life. We, we are going to face adversity and opposition. Paul said, hey, man, God has given, God, God's opened up doors of opportunities, but there are many adversaries, Right? There's, there are real adversaries that we face in life. And in this life, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have cares. But what are we to do? We are to stand firm. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. And this world is passing away. And as for the short time that we are here, we don't have to get all wrapped up like the citizens of earth get wrapped up and so worried over politics and all. We don't have to live that way. We can stand firm in the fact that heaven is our home. One day, and it could be soon, none of us are guaranteed to be a citizen of earth this time next week, right? I'm not. I'm not guaranteed to be one tomorrow. I'm that old. I could drop dead tonight. I know Judy's shaking her head like, why did I ever say that? (laughs) It just fit perfectly in the mess. I I think God, I think it was God ordained, Judy. I don't know. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, nor are you. Let's live like citizens the citizens of heaven that we are. Stand firm, Christian. Here's your next steps. Number one, I will live by a new pattern, imitating Christ and those who follow him closely. Is that the next step you need to take? Just by, all right, I'm going to stop imitating the world. I'm going to stop imitating the enemies of the cross. I'm going to stop imitating what I see on television. I'm, I'm going to stop imitating that. And I'm going to start imitating those who are following Jesus Christ and who are doing it well. Or st- next step number two, would this be you? I will live by new priorities setting my affections on things above, recognizing that the things of this world are only temporary. Is that the next step that you need to take? Stop living, prioritizing life around this world and this life and begin prioritizing life around the eternal. It'll change how you use your time. It'll change how you spend your money. It'll change every aspect of life when you reprioritize to eternity your citizenship in heaven. Step, next step, number three, I will live by a new perseverance, standing firm in the faith as a citizen of heaven. Maybe this is the next step for you. Maybe, maybe for you, you're going through all sorts of troubles and you just feel bombarded by this. And sometimes you, the, your citizenship here on earth as an American just seems overwhelming. And tonight, what you, what you, your next step is I'm gonna just persevere in the Lord. 
I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on living like a citizen of heaven and just persevering in that just day after day after day. Which next step do you need to take tonight? 